Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today I'm not joined by anyone. Uh, We do have a special type of episode, an episode that we've had in the past. Uh, I'll be sharing one of the messages that I gave at our um, youth night, but um, before we get into that, I do want to thank you guys uh, for everything that you've done. Um, I know the last episode that we posted regarding singleness, relationships, marriage with uh, Danny and Daniela uh, was just a big hit to a lot of you. I know a lot of you uh, shared that episode, listened to it, uh, shared it with your friends, your family, and I really appreciate all the feedback that I've gotten from that. Uh, I know the title is a little bit of a clickbait when it says why you're single, but um, if you really look into it deep down, you see how um, that, that truly applies and that we first need to seek God and seek his kingdom and we need to have that mentality if uh, we want him to just continue to bless us. So thank you guys. Um, if you're tuning in right now and you haven't listened to last week's episode, and uh, I mean, regardless, if you're a young person, married, single, whatever, um, I do recommend, I do encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, it's it's really, really profitable, beneficial, uh, the, the information and the, and the advice and the content that we get from Danny and Daniela based off their ministry and their marriage and, and their experience. So uh, I do recommend that you tune in, go back and listen to that one. Um, it'll be, it'll, it'll be great regardless of uh, what stage in your life that you're in, but thank you guys for sharing, continue to share it. I've been hearing, um, just different people, just sharing it to different people, different communities. So I, I'm truly encouraged and blessed by that. And I want to thank you guys for, for doing so, um, uh, with that. Uh, so thank you guys for that. Now, moving to this episode, like I said, this is going to be a message that I shared, um, it'll be a little shorter this episode. I know these last few episodes have been, uh, all of them, I think over an hour since we restarted in the new year, but, uh, this episode will be a little bit shorter. It's a message that I gave at our local, uh, youth night, and it's based off a series, um, the complete, uh, it's based off the book, the complete book of discipleship by Bill Hull. And it's pretty self-explanatory. All it talks about is the different types of discipleship, uh, beginning of the book, talked about um, the history, the biblical foundations, discipleship, how discipleship was uh, working in different cultures outside of the church and inside the church and Jesus's ministry and then after Jesus's ministry. So it kind of sets the tone uh, for, for, for this uh, series. But um, in this particular message that I had in this chapter, we talked about the distinguishing marks of a disciple or of discipleship. So um, after setting the tone, after setting the scene, we look at a few different ways on how we can distinguish ourselves as disciples. And uh, it's a good way, it's a good palette uh, just to see if we're truly living in that, if, if we're lacking anything and what we need to really uh, achieve that goal and, and reach that destination. So that's that. That's what this message is going to be about. There's six different points, six different ways that we need to be transformed Uh through, through Christ and through his word and six different ways that we need to imitate Christ because uh, we're called as disciples, you know, we're called to imitate Christ. We're uh, to be like the master as uh, it says in Luke. So um, we're called to do that. We need to imitate certain areas and really emphasize certain aspects of Jesus's walk. So in this episode, in this message, I'm going to highlight a few different things, uh, a few different experiences, different characteristics that Jesus had and, and how he was and how we should imitate him and be like him and only that way when we're transformed in those different ways will we be able to be 
full distinguishable disciples. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you you enjoy, and uh, I hope that God just truly works through this message and maybe just reveal some things that he wants to reveal to you. So thank you guys, and uh, here we go. So how you guys doing tonight? How was your week? Good? Great, that's so convincing. So I have good news, and that's it. There's no bad news, it's good news. Um, the good news is we get into some practical stuff tonight, uh, something a little more applicable to our lives. Uh, I know these last three weeks we focused a lot on the history, the origins of disciple, how it, discipleship, how it came to be, and um, where we are now with it. So while it may have not been so exciting, the content, it's very important that we have that foundation when we continue to go forward because we're going to be seeing a lot of parallels from previous weeks this week, and then uh, you'll see a lot of connections going there. So that was very important. But um, tonight, this chapter that we're going to discuss, continue in our series, if you guys weren't here uh, these last three weeks, we talked about the background, the biblical, first we talked about the biblical foundations of discipleship, we talked about the origin we talked about uh, in history how it happened, the monks, the Middle Ages, the, you know, the Reformation, how, how they were working through discipleship, how they were working with their mentors slash disciples, and how that applies to us today and how that compares and contrasts with how Jesus uh, did his own discipleship uh, in his ministry here on earth. So this week, we have the message, the chapter the distinguishing marks of a disciple. So, so this week we're going to find out what it means to be a true disciple. We're going to see uh, six different things, how it can apply to our lives. Are we being disciples? Are we being disciples of Jesus? Are we being disciples of something else? And then we're going to, we're going to take a look into that. So we're going to see very specific things that we need to do, and we're going to parallel that with the Word of God. So first we have to understand that when we, when we become Christians, this was first mentioned, I think, Week one or week two. When we first become Christians, um, we're all called to discipleship. The author mentions that we've accepted this false binary system in our Christian walk. What that means is that one person, you know, one lane goes, you know, full on discipleship, doing the work of the Lord, and the, the next lane of Christianity is just sitting in the pews, just absorbing everything once a week, and then, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, right? And that's false. We are all, when we're, when we're born again, we're all called to discipleship. We're not, half of us are not called to sit around and do nothing, and the other half, you know, to actually do something. We're all called to walk in this walk. We're all called to, to discipleship. So it is very important to understand that, um, and we see that in multiple passages. Uh, the, the verse that we studied from Sunday night uh, that Andrew preached in uh, Luke chapter 9, right, to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. That wasn't just for half of us, right? That wasn't just for the apostles, it's for all of us. We all must deny ourselves. We all must pick up our own crosses, and we all must follow Jesus. Now, the important thing to understand, one very important factor to understand when we're talking about discipleship and how to become a true disciple is that we must imitate the life of Christ. The qualities that Christ displayed in his walk here, we must also imitate. And tonight, we're going to do that, and we're going to see the different evidences if, uh, to see if we are imitating a life of Christ. What, that, what does that mean? You know, 
In the previous chapters, we talked about the mentors and disciples. They followed them around. They copied their actions, everything they can do. They tried to learn so much from them. And the same way that they did that in their philosophical medical circles, wherever they were, we must do the same with Jesus, but even more so. So tonight we're going to talk about six different points. We're going to try to get to each point uh, relatively quickly. Uh, But six-fold definition of being conformed to Christ's image. So that means six different ways that we need to be transformed in order to be like Christ, to, to, be, uh, to imitate him, to be his image here on earth. So let's get started. Point number one, we need to have a transformed mind. In other words, we have to believe what Jesus believed. Now I see some of you guys writing stuff down. This would be great for your small groups. My group, I already told you guys, right? told you guys to write things down, but this is very important. These are six very important points. So first, transform mind. We need to have that. We need to believe what Jesus believed. Now, Paul says in Romans 2.12 that uh, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that's very important because in our lives, whatever we're looking at, we can't establish uh, our life on a concept unless, um, if we can't grasp it, right? So we cannot set our mind to something if we don't truly understand it. Now, how do we understand what Jesus believed? How do we understand what Jesus was thinking, how he thought? Through his word, right? We look at the word of God in every book of the Bible, even though it may not mention the word of God in some of the books, we always see a messianic figure. We always see Christ in each and every single one of the books. So we can see throughout the whole word of God how, uh, what character, what, uh, what Jesus believed. But um, if we're going to get very specific, uh, let's, let's look at Jesus' words, right? The famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, or starting from chapter 5, it goes for a couple chapters. So um, the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus went over there, had a very long sermon, and these were his exact words. Now this sermon is held to a high regard not only in spiritual circles, but in secular circles as well. They all thought it was a seminal, transformational message, and it was. Now, I want to, I without diving too much into it, I want to recognize a couple of things um, about the Sermon on the Mount and what it had underlying. So, first of all, there was no pride, self-assurance, or complacency that was being preached on the Sermon on the Mount. Instead, the undertone of what Jesus was preaching, and you can relate it to everything, is humility. Humility was the inner core of that message. And humility, if you look throughout the entire Word of God, is the inner core of what Jesus how he believed and how he walked, right? It was all about humble beginnings. And he specifically mentions this in uh, the Beatitudes, right? Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And it's saying as if it's being a disciple is an attitude. And if you look over here, a few of these verses, it says, blessed are, the, are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and so on and so forth. So blessed are the people who serve, who are humble, for they will be rewarded, right? That's what the Beatitudes is. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude we need to have. It's a humility that we need to follow when we follow Christ. So humility is the inner core. Jonathan Edwards, uh, very famous uh, Reformation evangelist, he's the one who was credited with the sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I'm sure you guys read that in school whenever, or maybe you didn't, but he had a quote saying, there's nothing that puts man so much out of the devil's reach than humility, as soon as pride enters our hearts and enters our lives, we're opening a lot of doors, we're opening and we're offering a lot of different strongholds 
for the devil to grab onto. So it's important that we seek humility in the character of Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, when we're understanding what Jesus believed, we also see that influence is based on character, right? This is the part where Jesus calls us to be what? The salt of the earth, the light of the world, right? So we can be an influence to those around us. And hopefully a good influence, right? If we imitate Christ, we're going to be a good influence. So he has called us to do that as well, and we need to be humble with that. Uh, also, spiritual greatness means living and teaching about God's kingdom. It's not enough that we just act good, we act nice, right? That it's good. You, you know, sit over there in Sunday school, you learn how, how to act, how to obey your parents, which is great, but God calls us to preach his word, right, through his great commission. And over here in Matthew 5, 19, 20, where he says, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be, great, uh, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He has called us to preach his commands, preach his word. And lastly, in this point, faith means doing the will of the Father. We have to do the will of the Father as Jesus did, right? So in Matthew 7, at the very end of this Sermon on the Mount, he gives this kind of scary image in a way where he says that people would come to him saying, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied? Haven't we done these mighty works in your name? And Jesus rebukes them. He, he turns them away because, what? They were workers of lawlessness. They were not workers for the will of God. They were workers for their own deceitful desires, their own fleshly desires. So we have to believe, and it's important to believe, right? Two weeks ago, if you guys were here, I, I mentioned this um, about the mentality of a salesman. If you ever worked in sales, when you're selling a product, you have to believe in that product. If you don't believe in the product, people are going to see, see right through you, especially Romanians. They, they, they know how to conduct business. They'll see right through you. If you don't believe in the product that you're trying to sell, it's going to be obvious. You're not going to convince anyone. If you don't believe that the word of God is the authoritative you know, word that comes from God and that we're supposed to live by, it's infallible, then are people going to believe it when we preach to them? If we don't imitate the life of Christ and we're just saying empty words, are people going to believe us? Do we truly believe what Christ believed? If, I'll tell you this. If we truly believe what Christ believed, if we accept the perfect gospel in our hearts, we will be changed and our minds will be transformed, I guarantee you. So it's important. We have to believe what Jesus believed. Our minds have to be transformed. So that was point one. Now it's point two. I'm going to go, go through this a little quicker. Uh, point two we have to have a transformed character. So first, we had a transformed mind, transformed character. What does that mean? We have to live the way Jesus lived. Now, when we're analyzing someone's character, the best way to do it is not always in the, in the good times, in times of prosperity, right? Because, for example, um, I didn't blink twice like Gavin Newsom when everything was going well, but as soon as COVID hit and he started shutting down the churches, that's when I was like, hey, you can't do that. So when, when times are prosperous, we tend to overlook things, but when, when uh, turbulence comes, that's when we see someone's true character and also in their reactions, right? There's that saying, life is 10% of action, 10% of what happens to you, and 90% of what, how you react to it. So in this passage in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan is tempting Jesus, we get to see Jesus reacting to the different temptations that Satan brings before him. So we're going to quickly go through um, each of these temptations but let's set the scene first. We have to understand that Jesus was a willing servant who was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he had just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He spent time with his Father for 40 days and 40 nights and abstained from food. 
So temptation number one, you can follow along in Matthew chapter four, I'm not going to give the exact verses, but temptation number one, um, Satan asks, will you turn that stone into bread so that you can eat, right? And the point is here, will the spiritual appetite exceed the physical appetite? Now Satan, knowing this, and he's going to do this with us, so pay attention to this, he's going to, uh, knowing that Jesus had fasted for 40 days, knowing that it was a bodily vulnerable time for him, he tries to attack that same thing, and he's going to do the same thing to us. And what we need to do is we need to recognize, will our spiritual appetite exceed the physical appetite, the bodily appetite? <clears throat> and Jesus rebuked him, right? He said, no. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but the, every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? That's how he rebuked him. He rebuked him with scripture. <clears throat> and what's even greater is that he showed that, yes, though I abstain from food for 40 days and 40 nights, what you don't know is that I have been feeding myself spiritually for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, people use this illustration of fighting against the flesh as a dog fight, right, inside of you, flesh versus spirit. Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to win. So Jesus, for 40 days, was in the presence of his Father, and he was strengthened in that. So, number one, we saw how Jesus reacted in temptation. Number one, number two, will character moderate the needs of the ego? So Satan brings Jesus at the top of the temple over there and tells him to jump off because won't the angels come and catch you? He asked Jesus to show off in a way because, oh, because you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, won't the angels come and catch you? Now, I want you to think about this. What, what drives us in life? What motivates us in life? Is it success? Is it fame? Is it showing off? Or is it the will of the Father? And Jesus, even though he was perfectly capable of doing whatever Satan asked him to do, he chose not because he did not, uh, that was not what he lived for. And temptation number three, the point is, does the satisfied soul desire to worship or control? This is when Satan offered him everything. He's like, why don't you just take everything? And, And Jesus replied, no, we worship God alone and nothing else. Do you want to control things in your life, or do you want to submit fully to God? These are actions that we have to consider when we're facing these different milestones, when we're facing this crossroads in our life, when we have to react, when when Satan tries to attack us, we have to look to the word of God and see how Jesus reacted and imitate his character, and our character needs to be transformed. Now, C.S. Lewis once said that we Our character is defined by the small choices we make in life over a period of time. So he said every small choice continues to shape us as we we continue to grow, as we continue to mature. And he says by the end of the road, we're either heaven creatures or hellish creatures. Meaning that every small choice shapes us into what we're to become. So it's very important. There's an analogy that I was told by a friend, a little story, but... There are two brothers who grew up together. Let's say they're twins, right? They're, t- they're twins. They grew up together. And then after, you know, in time of ad- adolescence, they were split up, opposite sides of the world. And they lived 20, 30 years apart. No communication, nothing. So they interviewed one of the brothers and asked him, Sir, why are you an alcoholic? And this, and this brother responds, Because my father was an alcoholic. And they interview the other brother and ask him, sir, why are you not an alcoholic? And he responds, because my father was an alcoholic. See that? The same circumstance for two different people, but they made different choices. 
So our choices shape our character. Yes, our environment forms us in a way, but our character is transformed in the choices that we make, and that is the choice to follow Christ. So we have to have a transformed mind, transformed character. Thirdly, we need to have a transformed relationship. We need to love as Jesus loved. John 13, uh, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, there's a story. uh, This is like 500 years ago. There's an archbishop from Ireland. His name is Archbishop Henry Usher. And, you know, he had held a high status, but one, one day he was shipwrecked off a shore uh, of an island in, that, in the UK area, and a priest came over there and said, you know, who are you? And this guy, you know, he's all battered up, he's, his clothes are torn, he's not, not looking good. He says, oh, I'm, I'm so-and-so, right? He, he revealed himself. And this priest did not believe him. He's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. But what this priest did in order to find out if this guy was who he said he was He's like, okay, I'll give you a Bible test to see if you are actually the archbishop in in Dublin or wherever he was from. And he asked, how many commandments are in the Bible? And this usher guy says, there are 11. And the priest is like, ha, you're an imposter, right? No, there are 10. And then archbishop says, wait a second, a new command I give to you that you love one another. And then he continued with that passage of scripture. And this priest feeling so humbled and brought down was like, you know, brother, you know more than I do. <laughs> come, in, come inside, we'll take care of you. So this is a command that Jesus gave us, to love one another. A new command I give to you, it raises the stakes. Jesus said this directly. And the greatest part about this is at the end where it says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. This is pure evidence. Jesus even says that when you love one another, if you show love, it is evidence to all men that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, that Christ lives in you. Now I want to ask you something, a little more practical situation. How are your relationships with your peers, with your family, with your friends, with, with one another in the body of Christ? How are your relationships? Is there conflict? Is there harmony? Now I understand that we're imperfect beings, and we make mistakes, and sometimes we, you know, we butt heads a little bit, but there should not be consistent, like a consistent issue amongst two brothers or two sisters in the body of Christ. Because if that's the issue, then you got to look back at yourself. Am I transformed? Are my relationships transformed? Am I, am I following what Jesus said here in John chapter 13? Maybe you find yourself, man, why is everyone against me? Why are there 20 people who just tend to have a problem with me? Well, sorry for the wake-up call, but you're probably the problem, if that's the case. But regardless of what's going on, when we're living in one body... There should be consistent harmony going on. If there is an issue, I urge you, for all of us, that we look back into ourselves and see, am I loving this person? Am I doing what Christ called me to do? And even if you are, maybe it's the other person's at fault, do so accordingly to the word of God. That doesn't mean you stop loving that person. You take the appropriate measures. Are you getting along with your your parents, your siblings? If that's not the case, again, we have to reevaluate. We have to reevaluate. We have to love one another. And the most important reason is because this is how we show that we're disciples. That's what Jesus told us when we have transformed relationships. We hear so many stories of the the said prodigal son who goes away, who tells his dad, I hate you, you know, the the, the cinematic version. 
But then he comes back and he's totally different. He gets along with his family. He gets along with his peers. Apostle Paul, for example, no one believed him when he, when he, uh, when he converted, right? They were kind of like scared of him for a while. We have transformed relationships with our brothers and sisters, with our family. Fourth, we must have transformed habits. We have to train as Jesus trained. Now, let me, let me explain this a while. While Jesus was uh, 100% God, he was also 100% man. Now, what does that mean? That means he had the capacity for learning and training. It still applied to him because he was still in you know, a human body. But it's important to recognize that we can't just try. Trying is not training. Trying is not good enough. You know what trying is? Trying is uh, when disciples try to reach a goal without proper, proper tools. It's trying to do things on your own. Maybe, you know, a half effort to a certain goal that you want to achieve. But training is taking the necessary steps with the necessary tools to achieve what you want. It's the same, I mean, you, I don't have to tell you guys over there, especially you strong guys in the back over there. When you train your muscles, right, they, they grow. But if you train in the spirit, if you train in the ways that Jesus trained, if you practice his habits, you will spiritually grow. You'll be spiritually buff. Now, I want, to list, I want to list a few things, a few uh, habits that Jesus had, and we'll see this through the Word of God. And if you want references, uh, ask your group leader, because I'm not going to have time to list all the references. But here are a few things that Jesus practiced, different habits that we should imitate ourselves. We have silence, solitude, fasting, frugality. Gentlemen, don't take that too far. Don't be too frugal. Prayer. Secrecy. Now, this one I was a little confused, so I had to look at the passage. But what it's mentioning is that when Jesus said, when you're fasting, don't show off to the world. When you're doing righteous acts, don't show it off. May it be for you serving the Father, not for other people's um, you know, recognition. So that's what he meant. Do so in secret. We have submission, humility, obedience, sacrifice, study, fellowship, confession, and worship. These are the different habits that through the New Testament, as we see Jesus' ministry, we see him practice on more than one occasion. And these are the habits that we should strive for. Now, how much of these habits do you practice in your personal life, that ones that I just listed? Or maybe you have other habits. Now, when we're talking about habits, we talk about, there's that phrase, habitual sin, right? You're making a habit of sin. Now, we have to understand what that is because uh, it's very important that we're not practicing it. For, for disciples, we cannot be practicing habitual sin. They, they, those two terms cannot coexist together. Now, I want to give you an example. Now, bear with me. This is kind of intense, but I, I feel like it uh, kind of applies. But just take me as it is. But let's say I kill someone. No, it's kind of intense. I get it. Now, in the court of law, it's there are other factors that they take into consideration when you have an altercation and someone dies at your hands, right? For example, if someone attacks me and he happens to die as I'm you know, defending myself in self-defense, you know, if you go through the proceedings and everything, you'll probably you know, maybe get a slap on the wrist. That's it. Now, if there is an altercation and someone instigates and you fight back and this person dies, you can go for manslaughter if you have a you know, good enough lawyer. Now, there are things called aggravating factors, right? When the, when the prosecutors, when they want to get you on capital punishment, which in some states, if it's legalized, it's, um, 
execution. When they want to get you on capital punishment, they have to prove certain aggravating factors. And the two most common aggravating factors are one, premeditation. That means you're planning it. And two, concealing the evidence afterwards. Now, we as Christians, we're not perfect, right? We slip and we fall. We, 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 we mess up sometimes. We're not perfect, right? But those two things, if we're practicing premeditated sin and maybe we're trying to conceal it afterwards, that's how you know you're practicing habitual sin. If you're changing the plan in your day in order to commit that sin, if you're, if you're planning around it, if you're, if, you're, if you're pushing something back, if you're trying to conceal it, you're trying to pretend like everything's okay, that is habitual sin, and that is a big problem. We cannot be disciples. We need to be, we need to be broken free from that. So we need to have transformed habits, and if we're having bad habits, if you want to look at your life and see, or my life, and ha- what habits we have, we need to practice the habits that Jesus had. That is the way. Now that's that. Number number five, transformed service. We need to minister as Jesus ministered. To minister means to serve, Mark 10, 45. Um, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A lot of people want to practice this term called ministry minus me. And what that means is being a Christian without being Christ-like. We cannot minister if we're not practicing what we preach. It's like trying to get a scholarship without having good grades, without proving it, right? It's trying to, try to um, serve and exercise your gifts without committing your life to Christ. Now, there's a passage in Mark chapter 10, uh, starting from verse 35. And what it says is James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? The sons of thunder. What a cool nickname. Um, they came up to Jesus and they said, they asked him, Lord, can we be at, once we go to heaven, can we be at your right and your left hand? And Jesus responds to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to that passage really quick because I have it right here. Obviously, Jesus doesn't say yes. So I'm sure we can assume that. Uh, but this is what Jesus said. So they asked him if he can be at the right hand and left hand. Jesus says, um, you do not know what you are asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with, uh, with which I am baptized? Are we ministering as Jesus ministered? The service that we do, is it, like I said earlier, is it being led by personal gain? Is it being led by, by fame, success, what we can gain on this earth? Because I'm telling you right now, the treasures that we store in heaven greatly outweigh anything that we can muster up on this earth. And we need to minister the way that Jesus ministered. We need to model like Jesus. Jesus left everything. He had the clothes on his back, but he trusted in the Lord that in his ministry, everything will be provided and that people will follow him and the church will be established in that day. And lastly, last point is we need to have a transformed influence. We need to lead the way Jesus led. We have to match the attitude of Jesus, his mindset, his worldview. Now, these are a couple of the qualities that shaped his character. And we mentioned them earlier, but these are the, the, the core ones that we need to practice as well. First, humility. 
We need to accept our role as a servant. In that passage in Mark that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, Jesus responds saying, if you, if you want greatness, if you want, if you want success, if you want to be a good leader, you need to serve. You need to submit and you need to serve. And the second one is submission. Before we become servants, we need to submit ourselves to Christ. And it's more a word of love, right? Submission seems it's very, very political, very authoritative, but it's more out of love. It needs to be out of love. Obedience. Jesus obeyed God and his plan. And his prayer in John chapter 17 said, I will do the will of my Father. Suffering, the same way that Jesus suffered, we are to suffer too. He actually says that we will. And those times may start soon. And eventually exaltation. Not in the same way that Jesus will be exalted, but one day, if we could keep his commandments and we submit our lives to Christ and accept them as our Lord and Savior, we too will be in his presence in the eternal glory in heaven in God's kingdom. Now these are six different things. Six different ways that we need to be transformed. We need to transform our minds, character, relationships, habits, service, and influence. But about transfer- transformation, there's one really important key uh, point that I want to leave you guys with. A pastor once said that nature forms, sin deforms, education informs, prison reforms, but only Jesus Christ transforms. Now, what does that mean? It means it doesn't matter what a preacher comes and says. It doesn't matter what role you serve. It doesn't matter how long you were in church. It doesn't matter if you left the church and came back. It doesn't matter if you're a lifer. It doesn't matter if your family is in ministry somehow. What matters is that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you submit all to him. Because only he can transform. So if tonight... If you have yet to give your life to Christ, I pray that you just seek God. You repent of the sinful ways of our past, and you seek God, and you accept Jesus into your life. And tonight, if you're a, you know, a striving disciple, as we all should be, so I shouldn't even say if, but as striving disciples, if there's any of these six that we're kind of struggling with, maybe it's a relationship that we have with, with a family member, maybe, maybe it's our, our motivations. What motivates us to get through ministry? Is it serving God or is it for personal gain? Is it for, um, what the young kids say nowadays, for clout, right? For, for our own self-exaltation. I want us to think of that as we go into this time. So these different things. Go before the Lord in prayer at home. Talk about it in the small groups that we're going to go. Uh, address anything that you need to address. And if you come before the Lord humbly and wholeheartedly and give your life to Christ, not only will we be saved, but we will be true disciples and we will answer answer Jesus' great commission, which not only calls us to be disciples, but to go into the world and make other disciples. May God help us all. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope you were blessed by the message. I hope God truly spoke to you. Um, 
it was just I, I know it was very informational. I just I had to keep it short. I had to keep it um, to a certain time limit uh, just due to the constraints. But I hope that through these points, we can really look back and uh, look into ourselves and see that where we need to grow, where we need to change and how we need to apply this message to our lives and to our hearts. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I, I pray that just God continues to work in all of us. So um, I know I skipped through this uh, at the beginning part of the episode, but if you do, uh, if you want to follow us for any and all updates, you can follow us on our Instagram at the Potter's House. Um, email the Potter's House at gmail.com. Uh, for that purple icon on your iPhones, I know you can listen to this Spotify. Um, if you want to share it via Instagram, that's great because Spotify has that link on the top left corner where it says play on Spotify. So you can share through the stories, through the direct messaging system that Instagram has. So please do that if you want to share it through Instagram. But um, you can also go through uh, Apple Podcasts, which is uh, through iTunes, which is on all your iPhones, as long as you have that podcast app installed. So uh, it's completely free with all Apple devices. So please tap into that purple icon go subscribe to the episode and then scroll down and tap the stars. The stars really help with the exposure of the show. And um, it's just some algorithm that they have. So please, please do so. It really helps. I've been seeing uh, more lately, so I'm really appreciative of that. But continue to do so. Uh, continue to help out. And um, you can also leave a written review if you want to. I would really appreciate it. I would uh, read it. And sometimes I, uh, or actually, I usually read it out here uh, on on the show live. So thank you guys for for the ones that have left reviews, and I uh, encourage you to leave more. I really appreciate the feedback and uh, just growing together. So uh, thank you guys so much. I'm excited for the for what what's to come, excited for the future. So uh, continue to be blessed, and we will see you next time.